producer. Erin is the most amazing person I know, and I'm really excited about that because I get to live with her, and she's my wife, and it makes life really great. Just for all of you guys that are looking for a spouse in the future, when you find somebody that is like Erin, it's really a blessing. So look for somebody that has their eyes on Jesus first, and that's willing to just humbly serve Him, and I think it makes marriage really awesome. And I think Erin is the gentlest, humblest, most peaceful person I've ever met. Like, to get Aaron mad, you would actually have to focus on it and try to get her mad. You'd have to make it, like, a point. You know, I can I can have a bad attitude, and she just, she, she'll just totally not respond negatively. It's really cool. But I guess as, as we listen to Aaron this morning, I'm really excited to hear what she has to say because she's learned a lot about obedience. She's made a lot of huge steps in her life of serving God, and it's been an example for me, and I really am looking forward to hearing everything she has to say, so please welcome her. Okay, is everybody awake now? You think you're ready? <laughs> okay, I think this has been an amazing retreat. It's been one of the best retreats I think I've ever been to. Thank you, Nadine. That was a wonderful talk you gave about cultivating the heart for God, and Nate, you're talk on surrender was amazing as well. I think we're learning a lot. And today, we are going to continue on with the theme. There is this woman, a historical woman, who's probably the most famous woman that I think ever lived. She had the biggest impact on humanity that any other woman has ever had. And I think this woman is a woman that I admire greatly. And you can find her story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Now this woman exemplified obedience probably better than any other woman I've ever known. Of course, I didn't know her, but I would have liked to have known her. I think we can all guess who this woman is. Mary. Very good, Terry. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left. Now we can look at that story and say, oh, a lot of us, we just read that story, gloss it over. That's a cool story. You know, she was a virgin. What we fail to realize is what a big sacrifice Mary made. This exemplifies obedience more than any other woman in the Bible. What did Mary stand to lose? She stood to lose everything. And a lot of times when we think of obedience, we're a little afraid to be obedient because, well, my reputation might be ruined if I stand up for Jesus, right? Mary stood to lose her reputation. She stood to lose, you know, the idea that she was innocent, that... Her reputation was going to be that Mary was a loose woman. She stood to lose a good reputation. She stood to lose her fiancé. She didn't know that Joseph was going to continue marrying her. And most amazing is that Mary stood to lose her entire life 
Because back then, in the day, if you were found pregnant and not married, you were executed for it. So Mary stood to lose her life. And this is amazing, amazing obedience that I don't know if I could step out to. She was amazing. But the thing is, is a lot of us we say, wow, she was a super spiritual woman. There's no way I could do that, right? But the thing is that each and every one of us, just like Mary, she was an average girl. An average girl. Just like Billy Graham was an average guy at 17 when he made surrendered his life to Christ. Every single one of us, if we walk in obedience, God can do amazing things in our lives. But the thing with Mary, why she was able to impact the world the way she did, was because she had cultivated a heart for God, and that she had surrendered her life. And because of this, she was able to obey. Now, a lot of us, we do amazing things for God. Each and every one of us has probably at one point in our lives stepped out and obeyed and have seen God do amazing things in our life. For me, for example, you know, the first person I led to Christ was when I was eight years old. I started reading the Bible consistently, almost every day. I was able to serve God through tragedy. I'm even a missionary. I've been on tons of mission trips. Those are examples of obedience, but those are events. Those are events in my life that happened. God is not so concerned with events like stepping up and rising to the occasion as he is in a daily life of obedience. None of us in this room would say, yeah, I want to be disobedient. I don't want to ever follow God and do what's right. I don't think any of us has that attitude. I think every one of us wants to do what's right. So this talk is not to discourage you or to condemn you or say shame on you. You're doing bad things. But it's to encourage you to not waste your life. Every single one of you is at a point in your life where you've got to make some big decisions. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? The last Sunday we were in church, our pastor talked about you have one life. And honestly, you have one life to live for Jesus Christ. One life to live. Don't get to be 80 years old and look back on your life and say, that was a wasted life. That was a wasted life. Live daily in obedience to Christ. This talk is not just another, do this, don't do that. You know, Not that kind of obedience. Well, I mean, that is obedience, but... That's not what this talk is about. This talk is about the importance of obedience in our lives and how it affects us and how it affects others and how it affects our relationship with Jesus Christ. I think when we think about obedience, one of the most important things we need to think about is what do we believe? Think about that in your head. What do I believe? What do I really believe? When we think about what we believe, we need to think about what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Well, some of the things it means is that we're free from sin. Wow, I'm free from sin. I am free from the requirements of the law. I don't have to obey to be saved anymore. That's incredible. I am free from being held accountable for my sin. Those are big things, big things. In Romans 10:9, it says how to be saved. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord? Do we really understand what it means for Jesus to be our Lord? What it really means is that we are free from the ownership of our own lives. We promised the ownership to Jesus Christ. We gave him the deed, gave him the title to our lives. He has dominion, he has possession of us, he is our master, and we are the slave. So we agreed to love God with all of our heart. And what that means is that we agreed to love him more than any relationship, activity, achievement, or possession. We agreed to love God with all of our will by committing ourselves completely to Him. We agreed to love God with all of our mind. 
What this means is by seeking to know him and his words, so his principles and values form the foundation for all we think and do. That's what we agreed to do. We agreed to love God with all of our body by recognizing that our strengths, talents, and sexuality are given to us by God to be used for our pleasure and fulfillment according to his rules and not our own. We agreed to love God with our finances by deciding that all the resources we have ultimately come from God and that we are to be managers of them and not owners. We agreed to love God with our future by deciding to make service to God and man the main purpose of our life's work. Those are things that we agreed. When we said, Jesus, you are Lord, you are Lord of my life, we agreed to love him with all of those things. That was our commitment to him. How are we free? We are free from the law and sin. We are free to obey now. Isn't that amazing? Turn to Galatians 5.13. It says, You, my brothers, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We are free to serve each other. We are free to obey. That is a big deal. We're, we don't have to sin anymore. Before we were slaves to sin, and now we don't have to. We are free. One of the things that I think that we as Christians, we not necessarily in our head think that we're like this, but in our heart and in our actions, how do we treat, how do we treat our salvation? Are we flippant with it? Do we follow Jesus only for the perks, like the abundant life and you know, good time and heaven and all these great promises that Jesus gave us? This is serving God in pretense. This is not really serving God. It's only saying that Jesus is Lord. But is he really Lord? Matthew 15, 7-9, Jesus says, he's talking to the Pharisees who believe that they had the closest relationship with God. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught from by men. And I'm sure some of the Pharisees had the wrong heart attitude, and they're like, you know, I'm doing all the good things, or I'm, I don't care about people, right? But I'm sure some Pharisees thought they were doing the right thing. But in reality, what was, what was the reality of the situation? Jesus said they were hypocrites because their hearts were far from God. They honored Him with their lips, but their hearts were far from them. And what does that look like in nowadays? Nowadays, we compartmentalize God. God, you can have this time of my day, but I'm going to use the rest. Or God, I'm going to view obedience as an event. I'm going to rise to the occasion when I feel like it. I go to church and SNL. I read the Bible every day, but do you really apply it? And this is some of the ways that we can serve God in pretense. Going through the motions instead of total surrender to Christ. It's being partially obedient. In Jeremiah 3, 6-11, it's about Israel and Judah. And Israel had completely fallen away from God. And Judah had served idols, but was also pretending to serve God. And this is what God says about it in Jeremiah 3, 6-11. Actually, 3.11, I think. It says, Faithlessness is more righteous than unfaithfulness. It says, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. So God views pretense as a very bad thing. He views it as unfaithfulness. He views it not a good light. He was said that you, he'd rather you not follow him than to pretend to follow him. Loving God means that you will be obedient. In John 14.15, it says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. In 1 John 2, 3-6, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. 
This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked did. That's pretty tough verse. Like, if we're not obeying God, then we're a liar if we say that Jesus is Lord. If we're not obeying him, we're a liar if we say Jesus is Lord. So how does this work? How does it really work if to love God means that you have to obey him? Because, I mean, how is that really true? And this is how it works. It says in Romans 1.5, it says, To the obedience that comes from faith. So what that means is if you believe something is true, you're going to live like it's true. So obedience comes from faith. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to be obedient to him. That's the result of your faith, is obedience. It means giving our lives to him, and we will be obedient. James 2.17, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And a lot of us, that can be a confusing verse, but basically what that means is if you believe something is true, you're going to live like it's true. And this is a normal part of everyday life. If we believe something is true, we're going to live like it's true. And it happens in everything, not just in our relationship with God. For example, I just joined, well, I hate exercising. I've hated it with a passion all of my life. Never have enjoyed it, never wanted to do it. Wasn't raised with it. I hate it. Anyways, I've, I know it's healthy for me, so I've been trying to get in the habit of it, but it's impossible. I hate it. <laughs> but anyways, I decided I would join this club. It's called Curves. And when I first heard about Curves, I was really skeptical. I was like, yeah, right, that's just one of those stupid places where nothing you do will work. And I didn't believe it, and so I didn't think twice about it. But then I had a friend, Lacey, who was telling me about it, and so I kept asking her, does it work? Does it work? Does it work? Does it work? And she's like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. You know. So finally, I believed her. I was like, oh, okay, I think it works, so I'm going to give it a try. So I had action attached to my belief. I believed that what she said was true, and so I acted upon it by getting a membership at Curves. And so now I'm working out and exercising, and I'm having fun. When I thought I hated exercise, I find it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so there you see, it's a natural result of everything in our lives. If we believe something is true, we're going to live like it's true. Action is a part of belief. So in biblical terms, what does it mean? Okay, so if you believe that... Jesus is the only way. You're going to act upon it by professing that he is Lord. That is how you follow, action follows belief in that sense. So in everything, if we believe that God's word is true, we're going to live like it's true. If I wasn't convinced that curves works, I wouldn't have worked out there. I wouldn't have got a membership there, right? So part of obedience is living by the word. A lot of times I see in, Christian, in Christians, myself a lot of times included, where we'll read God's word and like, oh, that's beautiful. I love that part. But then do we follow through with it? For instance, Philippians 4.8. It's one of my favorite verses. I memorized it when I was young and didn't really understand it until I got older what it meant. But it means whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, and on and on. Um, believe on these things. So think about things that are worthy to think about. Think about things that are uplifting and are glorifying to God, right? Well, do we really live like that's true? Do we really follow through? Yeah, we can believe, ooh, we need to do those things, but do we really do those things? So that is living what you believe. If you believe those things, then you would live like you believed them. So living by the word. Do we read the word and do we fail to apply the word? That is not what we're called to do. We're called to apply it. All of us desire to know God's will. That's something that is huge in our lives. But the thing is, without obedience, we won't know God's will. A lot of times we think that our purpose 
be followed by obedience without realizing that with obedience then comes our purpose. And I think that we get stuck on, well, I, I can pray and then God's going to give me this great glorious event in the future that I'm going to do. But that's not, what a, that's not what God's will is and that's not what obedience is. In Ephesians 5.17 it says we are commanded to know God's will. Let's look it up. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So that's a command. We are commanded to know what God's will is. That's one way that we can be obedient. Well, how do we know God's will? So many of us believe that God has many big and marvelous things for us, right? But only a few of us are slightly obedient now. In my life, for example, I did not want to come to Fort Lewis. I believe that I was called into the ministry and that the only way I was going to find my ministry was if I go to a Christian school. But my dad forced me to go to Fort Lewis. Well, he didn't really force me, but he told me I was going to Fort Lewis. <laughs> now, I really didn't want to go, and like Nate was saying last night about pride, I definitely thought I was God's greatest gift to humanity. <laughs> I thought it was pretty hot stuff, because of all the things that I'd done in my past, all the big events that I had rose to the occasion to, I thought I was pretty hot stuff. So I wasn't really teachable, and I wasn't walking in what God had called me to then. I was like, I have so many good things that God has got in store for me. Yay, praise the Lord. You know, I can't wait. I can't wait to step out and do those things. But what I failed to realize was obedience was a daily thing. It wasn't just a future event. God's will is not just a future event. It's a daily thing. I was too busy with school. I was too busy with my friends. I was too busy going to church. I was too busy going to SNL, and I failed to apply God's word. I failed to do what God had really called me to do. There was one thing that stood out to me during that time that really convicted me of walking in daily obedience. And it was with a couple that was on staff here when I was a sophomore, Aaron and Lori Morrissey. Unfortunately, I felt really sorry for Lori for trying to disciple me because I was kind of a little stuck-up brat. But she told me one day when I was talking about all these great and glorious things that God was probably going to do with me in my life, she goes, Aaron, that's fine. That's for the future. Shelve your future. Shelve your future. And that's what we need to do. We need to shelve our futures. And that doesn't mean we can't make plans for our future, but that means we can't focus on our future. We only live in the present. Shelve your future, guys. Shelve your future. Live for today, not for the future. And because... Lori challenged me by saying that. It impacted me in amazing ways. I started getting more teachable. It took a while. God had to work a lot in my life. But I think if she hadn't have said that, today I'd still be waiting for my future. I'd still be waiting for those big things that God had for me. It says in Ephesians 2.10, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So out of appreciation for this free gift that we've received... We are to serve Him and others here and now. It's not a future event. It's not, oh, i got to wait to rise to the occasion. It's now. God prepared things for us to do every day, to walk in His will every day. His will is not a future event. It's a day-to-day thing. James 4, 13-16 talks about the problem with living for the future. It says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. 
what I failed to realize is what I was doing about boasting about my future, oh, God's going to do all these things, is that it was not God. It was evil. It says all boast, such boasting is evil. Why is that? Because we don't know if we have a tomorrow. We don't know if by this time next year we'll even be here on this earth. We don't know that. We don't know the future. Eli Stewart said a really good quote. He said, the present is the only moment that touches eternity. Because your future is not here yet. And if you wait for your future, you'll still be waiting for your future tomorrow. So live for the present. It's the only moment that touches eternity. It's the only moment that matters in life. It's the present. Will you be able to say when you die that I lived my entire life to glorify Christ in everything I've ever done? Because right now you have the whole future spread out for you most likely. I mean, I'm sure you're not going to die tomorrow. You never know, but I'm sure you won't. And you have this lifetime ahead of you where you can glorify Christ in all you do. Just imagine all the things that you can do for Christ and how you can walk with Christ. Don't wait for the future. Start living in obedience today. So, how do we live in God's will today? Ephesians 5.17, remember, it's a command. And so, therefore, it's possible to obey. If God gives us a command, it's not like we have to search for it or do something special to find it. It's a command. And so he's going to make it possible to obey it. He's going to make it possible to know his will. The number one thing to know God's will is obedience. Obedience, obedience. That is knowing God's will and doing God's will. God's will is not an event. It's daily walking in obedience. That's God's will for your life. Obedience requires action in the present tense. James 4.17 says, Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Guys, be fearful waiting for your future to be obedient. Because disobedience is sin. Not walking daily in obedience is sin. Be fearful of that. If we look at Hebrews 3.13, let's read it again. It's a very good verse. It says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Guys, sin is deceiving. It's very deceitful. It will harden us. And it'll make it easier to sin the next time, right? So if we do not start living in God's will, start being obedient to God today, then we probably won't be obedient to God next year or the year after that or the year after that because we will be hardened by sin. A lot of you are like, oh, you know, I won't, I won't fall. I, I know I won't fall. But if we look at King David's story, and we talked a little bit about King David yesterday, what was King David? It says that he was a man after God's own heart, right? Now, can we say today that we are a man or a woman after God's own heart? Can we say that? Can we honestly say that we are someone after God's own heart? Or, or do we follow our own heart's desires? Are we a man or woman after our own hearts? <laughs> or are we a man or woman after God's heart? King David was this type of man. He was a man after God's own heart. You look at King David's story and... This man was, had such a tender heart, and he had such a heart of repentance, right? And if you look at when King Saul died, what did King David do? This man who had tried to kill him, who tried to take revenge on him, tried to do all these terrible things to him, what did David do? He mourned Saul's death. He really, truly mourned Saul's death. It wasn't just like, oh, Saul died. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a real genuine mourning and grieving over the death of Saul. That is amazing heart. That is amazing heart. So how did David fall so hard? How did David commit adultery and murder? You know, if you look at 2 Samuel 11.25, you see just how much David fell. 
So this is after Uriah had died, after David had told Joab to put him in the front lines. And David receives a message that Uriah died. And this was David's attitude. He said, David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty harsh. <laughs> that's pretty. That's not very nice. Like you look at how can you mourn Saul and then Uriah. He's like, ah, it happens. You know. I mean, that was his attitude. Ah, it happens. Guys, the reason why David got this way. And here's a very interesting note. If for those of you who don't know who Uriah really is, Uriah was one of David's thirty mighty men. So this guy was the guy that would do anything for David. David would have known this guy. This guy wasn't just a soldier. He was one of David's 30 mighty men. This guy probably was there when David was being chased by Saul. This guy would have meant a lot to David. And David meant a lot to this guy. And that was David's attitude. Oh, whatever, it happens. Guys, the reason why David got that way is because sin is deceiving and it hardens us. So, if any of us think that, oh, we could never go that far and fall that far, be careful, because sin will do that to you. It will bring you that low. And don't be like that, you know. Praise God that David repented. You alone cannot prevent yourself from falling. So every time we justify our disobedience, we make it easier to do again the next time. And we do. We, we do that a lot. We justify our disobedience. We're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I really didn't do anything wrong. I don't have to go say sorry to Nate for, you know, punching him in the nose. He deserved it, right? <laughs> that would be justifying my disobedience. That'd be justifying my sin. And a lot of times we do that. And that's sin deceiving us. That is what sin does. It deceives us. And that's how we start to get hard. And that's how it makes it easier to do it the next time. So this is what David did. He justified his disobedience. He said, oh, it wasn't so bad. I really liked that girl. And I didn't want to ruin my reputation, so Uriah has to go. So our natural tendency is to sin, guys. This is what we're going to do. That's our natural tendency, right? In Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So our natural bend is to sin. We, that is our natural course. That is the course that if we let ourselves, that's the way we're going every time. It's not like we can prevent ourselves from being deceived by sin. If we are not act, living in obedience every day, this is the way we're going. We're going towards sin. We're going to what we naturally do. So how do we overcome this tendency toward disobedience? And how do we live and obey God's will? So one of the things we have to realize... Uh, when it comes to obedience, again, is that we don't discover our purpose and then become obedient. We become obedient and then discover our purpose. Galatians 5.16 and Romans 12.1 and 2 have the answer. In Galatians 5.16 it says, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now we've heard that, but that is the answer. That is the answer to not going the course of sin. Is living by the Spirit, so spiritual breathing. Confession and repentance. Exhale, confess our sins, and repent. And inhale, live in the power of the Holy Spirit, have Christ on the throne, be controlled by Him. That is how we overcome <coughs> our natural tendency to sin. Romans 12, 1 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
be holy and pleasing, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there it is, guys. If you want to know God's will, be obedient. But you put God first, which is being obedient. You don't conform to the world, because conforming to the world is sin. And not conforming to the world is obedience. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means basically that you live, have a life devoted to God, have a heart devoted after God's word, right? So you live in obedience to God's word. So it means application of what you read in God's word. So that is obedience. So all three areas are obedience, obedience, obedience. So that's how we know God's will, is through a life of obedience. So how do we do that? Once again, it's through spiritual breathing. It's through confession of and repentance of sin. And it's through putting Christ on the throne. Another thing when we think about obedience in our lives is obedience does not just affect you. Or disobedience does not just affect you. It affects everyone. Your, what you do matters. A lot of us think that, oh, I can do this and it's just going to affect me. But that's not true at all. What you do matters. What you don't do matters. So if you're living in partial obedience, it matters. It matters to you and it matters to everyone around you because it affects everyone around you. These are some of the ways it affects to ourselves. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11b, it says, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. So when we have self on the throne, when we're living for ourselves, when we're not walking in daily obedience, Basically, we are going to have an unsatisfied and lonely and bored life. A lot of us think, uh, you know, God can be boring sometimes, but the reality is boredom is part of the fallen world. We're not going to be bored in heaven. We're not going to be bored serving God. It's part of our natural course. It's part of sin, is to be bored. Part of loneliness is sin. It's our fallen nature to be lonely. It's our fallen nature to be bored. It's our fallen nature to be unsatisfied. That's because God has said in us, each of us, the desire to put Him first in our lives, the desire to serve Him, the desire to know Him. It's in each of us. So when we are not living with Him in control of our lives, we're not going to be happy. We're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to be living an abundant life, right? So when we have Christ on the throne, it says in John 14, 21 through 23. So do you guys ever struggle with, God, why don't you show up in my life? I'm so tired of this. I'm not excited about you. You know, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. Why don't you show up in my life? Well, here's the answer. It says, John 14, 21, and, and verse 23. It says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. In verse 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make a home with him. So there it is, guys. It says that if you obey him, he will show himself to you. That is the answer. If you're wondering why God doesn't show up in your life, if you're wondering why things don't happen in your life, we'll start walking in obedience to what He's called you to walk in. And God will show up in your life. That doesn't mean you're going to get all your expectations fulfilled. But what that does mean is God is going to do amazing things in your life. Amazing, amazing things in, your, in our lives. Because this is tough. I'm not exempt from this either. Obeying God today, God will show up in your life. Remember Romans 12. 1 and 2, we will understand His will. We will have more intimacy with Him. We won't live in fear or worry. 
We will have the correct perspective. We will grow in godly character. And these are things that we all want. These are things that we all desire in our heart of hearts. And if you're obedient to God, this is the result of your obedience. This is, this is what abundant life is. So the interesting thing is good decisions now make future good decisions easier. Also, on the reverse side of that, bad decisions now make future bad decisions easier. Mm. And in our lives, what I've noticed in both ways, for the bad decisions I've made, I have a problem with discipline. And even though this is, everybody's going to be like, well, that's not, not such a big problem. It has been an issue in my life where I have a good memory. I'm not trying to build myself up, but I have a good memory. And when I read things, I can retain them really well. And so when I read God's Word, I, you know, if I had been disciplined, I could really know it well. If I had, in my high school or my sophomore or my early college days, been diligent to apply and to memorize God's Word, now I would know God's Word better. So there's an area in my life where that has become very true, where it's made you know, bad decisions harder to overcome in the future. right? Also, with the good decisions, for example, in what, what I found to be true in my life, I decided early on that I would not go into debt, I would not get any kind of credit card, and I'd work my way through college. And so Nate decided that too, and so when we both graduated from college, we had absolutely no debt. And because of our financial decisions we made before we even met each other, Nate and I now get to live in this nice house. And this, is, this law is found in the Bible. It's found in Galatians 6-7. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you guys were thinking that, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Every decision, every act of obedience, and every act of disobedience, you will reap the consequences later on in life. That's the way it works. In every decision. So every decision, every act of obedience, it matters. It matters to you, and it matters to those around you. How it affects those around you. How many times have you heard Christians are hypocrites? Well, the reason why a lot of people think Christians are hypocrites is because they saw Christians that were not walking daily in obedience. So maybe you think that your disobedience is only going to affect you, but it, people are watching. People are watching you. And if you're not walking as Christ calls you to walk, people are going to notice. And once again, God does not like pretense. He doesn't like pretense. Second Peter 3, 9 and this, if you want to know God's will, this is God's will for sure. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So our obedience, guys, and our disobedience, it affects somebody else's eternity. It will directly impact another person's eternity. Because God is not willing that anyone should perish. He wants everyone to come to know him. That is his will. For not walking in his will... It will directly, it might directly impact someone's eternity. And I know this in a lot of ways. When I used to work in college and then even afterwards, I thought I wasn't walking in obedience all the time. Maybe I complained or I didn't share with people that I was a Christian right away. And so I felt that because I didn't, wasn't up front with people or I did something that wasn't so good. I thought that, well, I can't share now because I've ruined it. And I think a lot of us think that we can't walk in obedience because we've ruined it. You know, we don't want anybody to think we're a hypocrite, so we won't say anything, right? But my lack of obedience at my workplace, my lack of a repentant heart at my workplace, probably caused somebody else's eternity to be impacted. And so a lot of us think that 
you know, I won't share my faith or I won't, you know, be good because I've already messed it up, so why bother? It goes back to you reap what you sow. Bad decisions make future bad decisions harder to overcome. But the biggest thing, and the one thing that I want you guys to take away with you, if you forget everything else that I've talked to, and chances are you probably will, I won't remember tomorrow a lot of what I've said, but if you can remember one thing, I want you to remember this, and that your obedience, it affects you, it affects others, but most importantly, it affects Jesus Christ. Your obedience glorifies Him. Isn't that amazing? Your obedience glorifies Him. It says in Matthew 5, 14 and 16, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That doesn't mean that you just walk the walk. That means that you are obedient daily. And if that means sharing your faith, then you share your faith. If that means loving others, then you love others. That is how you let your light shine before men, is that you walk daily in obedience to Christ. And because you're walking daily in obedience to Christ, you will glorify Christ. Here's another way to put it. In Matthew 25, 37 through 45, and we read this in our Bible the other, Bible study the other day, and it was a really convicting verse. Think that when we really don't realize that this is the truth. We don't realize the big impact our actions have on others, but this verse really explains it very well. So Matthew 25, 37 through 35. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. And then it goes on, and I'll just give a few verses. It says, they will also answer, so these are the people that are disobedient. It says, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you. He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So guys, when you curse at someone or when you are unloving towards someone or when you do something to someone else, whether it be good or bad, you can basically assume that that's directed at Jesus. You're not just doing it to that person, it's to Jesus that you're doing it to, really. So... Remember, what you do matters. Whether it be to yourself or to others or to Jesus Christ, what you do matters. So are we kind? Are we loving? Are we forgiving towards others? Do we share with others the hope that we have? Isn't he worth it? Isn't he worth it? You were set free. Galatians 5.1 You were set free. You were set free from sin. You were set free from having a life of boredom and loneliness and and a life that is unsatisfying. You were set free from those things. Doesn't that make it worth it to walk daily in obedience? That is convicting. That is something that I want to strive for, but it's something I fail in so many times. He is really worth it. He is really worth it. And the thing I want to end with is 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. Remember, it's deciding whether or not you're going to be that's burdensome. But when you actually obey Him, it's the most freeing thing you'll ever experience. And I think a lot of us know what that means, because there have been times where we've risen to the occasion, and we knew how freeing that was to step out in obedience. It was before we decided to obey that we were like, oh, this is too hard, too scary, to want to do it, right? So remember, He says His commands are not burdensome. 
Are we going to live like that's true or not? So we are free, but we promised him our lives. We promised him our lives. So in closing, if you truly believe glorifying Christ is what you value most, live it today. Walk in what he has prepared for you. If you believe something is true, live like it is true. Obedience is for today. And our obedience directly impacts ourselves and others. But the amazing thing, guys, is that 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even if you haven't walked daily in obedience up to this point, it's okay. He can forgive you. So make the decision now, from here on out, to walk in daily obedience to Christ. Remember, if God asks you to do something, it's for your own good. Right now, I want to have a time of reflection, just for a few minutes, just to think. We don't have anything to write down. But I just want you to think about all the things that you've learned this weekend, all the things that maybe God's convicted you of this weekend. The song that Brian's going to play, the lyrics say, the chorus says, This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Guys, don't waste your life.